Not on my watch. Not on my watch. Hello and welcome to Strength for Tomorrow Radio with me, Stuart Thompson. Thank you for joining me on what has been a scorching week here in Ireland, wherever you are listening. I've got a few new listeners. According to Spotify uh, statistics, we have a few new listeners from Austria and Belgium, believe it or not. Now, they probably listened for about 10 seconds, realised that I'm speaking some dialect of English and uh, moved on. But it's nice to be able to reach out to, <laughs> to the Austrian and Belgian audience. Hope you had a great week. I am very thankful this week for two things in particular. One is a fan, the invention of the fan, and the other thing is ice lollies. Anybody else like ice lollies? They're fantastic. There's just nothing like them on a hot day. Record-breaking temperatures. It's absolutely brilliant. And uh, as far as global warming goes, I'm quite content to burn some more carbon because this is fantastic. I'm really, really enjoying it. Long may it last. Long may it continue. Last week, we um, talked about devious trainers, macro meals, meal plans, and some of the tricks of the trade within the fitness industry. Now, hopefully you have listened to that one. If not, do go back and listen to it, and hopefully it will avoid you some pain in the process if you're trying to get fit, trying to avoid gimmick equipment, and trying to figure out which supplements you really, really need, which ones are just money spinners for the, the companies, really. Go back and listen to that one. Today, we're going to be thinking about exercise. We're going to be thinking about ignored epidemics and we're going to be thinking about how you can prevent disease how you can stop disease how you can treat disease using exercise as your medicine now this is not meant as medical advice little disclaimer at the start but we're going to look at the data we're going to look at the statistics we're going to look at the studies and we're going to dissect some of them and hopefully they will apply to you or someone you know who maybe has a particular disease or if it runs in your family it's something to think about so do stick around and put the kettle on Get a nice lolly, do whatever you want, put your feet up and listen. So we've all heard the phrase, exercise is medicine, hopefully. I'm sure you've come across it. It's usually the little weirdo in your group. You know the one that loves exercise, is a bit of an exercise addict. They're the one that's a big, there's a big mantra for them, this phrase. And uh, do you really believe it? Because um, I know for me, it sounds cute, sounds catchy, but... Is it enough for me to take action? Is it enough for you to take action based upon that idea that exercise is medicine? And if it is a medicine, how effective a medicine is it? Some some medicines are more effective than others. How effective is exercise with regards to treating or curing or preventing diseases and illnesses in your life? You know, we all we all know that exercise can benefit us physically as well as mentally. You know, obviously we think of it gets us ripped, it gets us big, bigger muscles, it makes us fitter, it makes our waist thinner, and we look better in the mirror, we look better, fit better into our clothes. This um, this benefit of of exercise, so from a health perspective, those are all aesthetic benefits. They're side side effects, I would say. The real benefit of exercise is the physical, is the health is the health impact it has on us. This um, this benefit is only emphasized as we get older. It's, it's emphasized more. It's a bit of compound interest if you're into investing money. If you invest earlier, invest regularly, invest often, then you stick the plan, then the compound interest gains every single month, every single year. It's a bit like exercise. If you put more in now and keep doing it until you're 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, I don't know what age you are when you're listening to this, but if you keep doing that, 
you're going to benefit more from it. On the other hand, if you're more inactive, then you're much more likely to develop a variety of illnesses and diseases as you move into your 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond. However, there, the good news is there are lots of studies which have shown what we've believed all along. What we've known to be true all along is that we can help prevent many common illnesses and diseases with regular exercise and sensible nutritional choices. So we're going to take a look at some of these some of these um, diseases or illnesses and how exercise can specifically contribute in a positive way towards alleviating them or preventing them. I'm going to leave it quite open, but I want to really look at the studies. I'm not going to just give my opinion. I want to give you actual studies that have been done to investigate links between them and then let you decide, is there more drawbacks or is there more uh, more, more benefits? So the first one is arthritis. Now, that might not seem like a life-threatening condition, but it can be debilitating. It can be very, very painful for people. Exercise can improve muscle strength and flexibility. And for arthritis sufferers, you know, it alleviates the impact of that condition. And as I said, that's not just my opinion. There was a study actually conducted quite recently in July 2019, so before the world went nuts. A study it was by Queen Mary University of London. And it found that exercise can actually help prevent the deterioration of cartilage caused by arthritis, which is kind of a crazy link. If you think of cartilage and what they previously thought was you could not restore it, you could not um, you know, develop more. They found that you can, there's a way to actually grow arthritis and they're able to they're playing about with that at the minute to try and actually uh, replace it in like your knee, for example. So whenever you exercise, the forces compress joint cartilage in your knees and hips, just as an example. And it's in a beneficial way. The cells in the cartilage actually respond to this compression by inhibiting inflammatory compounds commonly linked to painful conditions such as arthritis. So there's compression, uh, compressive forces and movement have been known to have this impact on an inflammatory response for a while now. A good example is, I guess, a leg break. If you have someone in traction, they used to put people in traction whenever they broke their leg just hoisted it up there and they found that it wasn't actually healing as quickly so the, the, what they do now a lot of the time especially if it's not major not too major they will put you in a boot they'll put you on the moon boots and see that little bit of compression not walking on it 20 miles a day or something crazy or 20,000 steps a day but a little bit of compression does it basically it causes an inflammatory response and that helps to kickstart the healing process so you will heal at the correct rate you will not be behind in the healing process. Now, a similar idea, if you want to compare it, is the ribs, the fastest healing bone of the body. Why is that? Well, one, they're trapped in between other ribs. There's compressive forces on them. You can't not use them. You can't not put pressure on them. Whenever you walk, whenever you stand up and you sit down, whenever you're lying down, there's still pressure on them, and they heal very, very quickly. So it's not that much of a stretch to realise that the compressive forces whenever you do exercise on your knees and hips, actually prevents um, the deterioration of cartilage, which is caused by arthritis. Some exercises that you can actually use as well to help prevent arthritis are you know, walking, cycling, swimming, jogging, and weight training. So those are all areas you might want to look at if you do suffer from arthritis, or if you are predisposed, maybe it runs in your family. Think about those things. Walking is probably the easiest one. It's the one that everybody thinks about. We do it um, without really thinking too much about it. We do it every single day. But other ones are worth thinking about as well, cycling, swimming, jogging, and weight training. So from a mobility perspective, but also in flexibility, 
also from a weight bearing exercise you want to have a little bit of impact you want to have something that's going to help um, prevent that cartilage from deteriorating, deteriorating even more the next one we're going to look at is cancer so the big c it's it's something that's touched um, probably everybody who's listened to this certainly and whether it's a family member or a friend or maybe you're going through it yourself um, it's just an awful disease and there's so many varieties of it but the, the positive thing from uh, one perspective is that there is, there's lots of growing evidence that suggests that regular exercise can actually help reduce the risk of developing certain cancers so in particular bowel cancer, breast cancer, possibly womb cancer as well so I'm not a doctor or a, a cancer expert but I'll give you a brief rundown of what cancer is you can fact check me if you want on it but cancer basically starts when cells start to multiply out of control lowering insulin levels this has been linked to helping stop some types of cancer from developing and what does exercise do well it helps to reduce insulin levels it helps to manage and control them so movement activity can help to control inflammation in our bowels and it also helps our food in our inside us to pass through the digestive system which means the inside lining of, of your bowel, it's going to spend less time in contact with potentially harmful chemicals. So these are just two ways that activity can help reduce our risk of developing bowel cancer. Now, there was actually a study done by the University of Sydney. I don't actually have the date of that one here, but I think it's, a, it's quite a recent one, certainly. I'll try and link it in the show notes, but check it out. So the University of Sydney, it conducted a study involving over 80,000 adults. So it's quite a big sample to work with and it determined that the most effective type of exercise to prolong life that was that was the goal of the workout and it determined that strength training was actually found to be the most effective at prolonging life rather than cardiovascular workouts alone give you give you the quote here directly the study found that strength training twice a week reduced the likelihood of dying from cancer by 31 percent so you know nearly a third just shy of a third which is significant um, in fact, the overall likelihood of any type of premature death decreased by 23%, which is it's crazy again, you know, fifth and a, a quarter. Combining both strengthening and cardio workouts had the best outcomes, and it was unclear as to how beneficial cardio was on its own. So, this is quite a strange study. A lot of times, whenever studies are done on the benefits of exercise, one thing that kind of annoys me is that they're all predominantly done by, they're done using cardiovascular exercise alone not done using strength training so this is quite an anomaly this study so it's an interesting one it's found that the benefits of strength training i would love to see a huge percentage more studies done using strength training as the the means of exercise rather than just cardiovascular um if you look up the statistics there's very very few on strength training which is annoying so it's just a gap in the in the in the data really so another interesting study that was done in May 2016, and this is by the American Cancer Society and the National Cancer Institute. And they linked exercise with lowering um, the risk of developing up to 13 specific types of cancer. So these included colon, breast, endometrial, esophageal, liver, stomach, kidney, myeloid leukemia, multiple myeloma, um, as well as cancers of the head, neck, rectum, bladder and lungs. And this is in um, both current and ex-smokers. So there's also good evidence that being active can help people during and following cancer treatment. And this is according to Cancer Research UK. Now, if you've gone through treatment or you're going through treatment, maybe exercising is the last thing in your mind. You're probably really tired. You're probably just so beat up mentally and emotionally that um, 
exercise is maybe not something you're thinking of and I fully understand that I'm not in that position I'm certainly not telling you to you know drop and give me 20 that kind of thing but it, it they suggest this is cancer research UK they suggest that it is important to try and get back to normal activities as soon as possible including regular activity so especially have if you have been working out then you're probably in a better condition to try and get back into doing something sooner rather than later there's actually a quote here from them so they say all adults should try and build should also try and build strength twice a week Remember that everyone is different and exercise needs to be tailored to you. So take into account your level of fitness, diagnosis and other factors that could affect your safety. So that says in a nutshell, everybody's different and everybody will have different recovery times and different severities and different traumas. And, you know, you have to take into account where you are. Take responsibility for yourself, really. You can take in all the data you want and take in all the studies you want, read them, interest them, all the rest of it. But you're in the position, it's your body. It's your health, so you need to determine and decide for yourself what you're going to do or how you're going to approach this during and after your treatment. Chronic renal failure. So my wife is a, a nurse in the renal unit in the city hospital in Belfast. And Northern Ireland, by the way, is one of the, if not the leading, one of the leading experts in the field with regards to kidney transplants and uh, looking after the kidneys. So anything I know about the kidneys is probably, I've probably learned from my wife because... Uh, she knows it all basically and that's not i'm not just talking about uh but the kidneys there to get my drift there guys anybody else married knows that crack um but you can reduce the impact of renal failure on the body through aerobic exercise and strength training and this is according to the national kidney foundation so here's a quote from them exercise helps kidney disease by improving muscle function lowering blood pressure lowering cholesterol keeping a healthy body weight and improving your sleep that's their sleep quality. So dialysis patients who regularly exercise, they experience an increase in blood volume and red blood cell mass. And that's according to Goldberg et al. in Therapeutic Benefits of Exercise Training for Hemodialysis Patients. So there's not lots and lots of studies done with regards to exercise and renal. Um, maybe I'm missing them, but I couldn't come across that many. But anything that I looked at, it all said the same thing. There was, there was positive benefits to be derived from exercising um, if you do suffer from chronic renal failure. Just thinking that was probably a really good way to test whether my wife was actually listening to the podcast or she just says she is. <laughs> the next one then is congestive heart failure. We want to look at so this is basically whenever your heart does not pump at an optimum level, and this makes everyday life really difficult. So getting up off the chair, getting up the stairs, walking down the hall, everyday things that we take, even carrying things, everyday things that we take for granted. If you have congestive heart failure, then you're gonna just find things every day, little things a little bit tougher. So there's a quote here and it's from Axel Link and he's a medical doctor and he was an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Leipzig in Germany and he worked on a few studies in this but he says exercise can spur the growth of new cells in men, weaken muscles and spur the growth of blood vessels in people with heart failure according to the two new studies. People with heart failure can regain 70% of their exercise capacity if they stick to an exercise program. So He's advocating consistency. He's advocating um, a variety of exercises here. So aerobic exercise, it can help because it helps your heart to work better and improves its efficiency and this improves blood flow. So this means that your cells and your tissues will receive oxygen and nutrients that they really, really need in order to function well. Strength training does play a role as well. You might think, oh, I've got heart failure, congestive heart failure probably shouldn't be lifting heavy things strength training actually initiates muscle development so this in turn nurtures the growth of tissue 
This development is crucial because what happens is it helps to improve the intake of oxygen and this enhance the breathing rhythm. So of course you need to start take take it easy at the beginning. Don't rush into it. And you will get more benefit out of it. Be consistent. Don't just um you know rush into it and try and get a one rep max deadlift or think I'm gonna run a, a mile here as fast as I can under first session. Take it really easy and just be aware of how your body's feeling, how your heart's feeling, how your how how you're feeling in general as you do it. Don't just take someone else's word for it. But you need to obviously uh chat to your 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 surgeon or your specialist or your doctor and get their advice and chat to somebody who kind of knows about these things. Chat to someone who isn't going to push you over the edge and make them aware of it if you do get a trainer. If you're unfit or sedentary, the best advice is probably just to build up your cardiovascular fitness before attempting strength training. But having said that, there's nothing wrong with getting in a few bodyweight exercises, things like squats and push-ups and some light weights, light dumbbells, because you're still going to the idea is progressive overload you want to progress so whether that's starting with cardio or starting with strength training you still want to start out small and be consistent do it do something every other day with it next one we're going to look at is coronary artery disease or cad if you're in the medical industry you know it's like talking to doctors or nurses um they just come up with all these little acronyms and they're like what what, what does that mean if you know if you've met a doctor your friends with a doctor or a nurse you know what i'm talking about and everybody's the same in their own industry that have run little uh, shortened versions of certain phrases and uh, everybody else just looks around the room like am i the only one doesn't know what this is but according to a study published in 2011 since 1990 more people have died from coronary artery disease than any other cause why genetic factors play a part 80 to 90 percent of people dying from cad have one or more major risk factor that are influenced by lifestyle so that's a crazy amount there's not much we can do about our genetics as we said in a previous episode kind of stuck with them you can blame your parents blame your grandparents if you want but it's just the way it is but you can do a lot with your lifestyle that is down to your decisions and my decisions every single day and 80 to 90 percent of people dying that's a crazy amount which is influenced by by your lifestyle so whether it's stress whether it's um, lack of exercise, whether it's smoking, whether it's poor nutrition, whether it's lack of sleep, there's lots of lots of things which might contribute to it. So exercise has become a major strategy. We're looking particularly at exercise, and um, it can help prevent cor- coronary artery disease, and also, um, actually in the rehabilitation of cardiac patients. And there's a study that highlights this. I'll again, I'll try and link it in the show notes. I don't want to spend too much time describing which one that is, but there's a quote here: exercise training has assumed a major role in cardiac rehabilitation mostly because of its positive effects on myocardial perfusion in patients with coronary artery disease so exercise it can help prevent coronary artery disease by reducing risk factors so there's a number of risk factors like we mentioned above so how does it do that well first of all it control helps control blood pressure and regulates it it can improve cholesterol levels strengthens your heart there's a number of ways that it helps so both strength training and cardiovascular training play a part, but it is important to kind of just make sure you're in a good enough condition to start doing some sort of training beforehand. Make sure that you know you're happy with it, your doctor's happy with it, and your trainer, if you have a trainer, is happy with it. But you're your own person, you're autonomous, you can make decisions, you're a big boy, you're a big girl, you can decide what's appropriate for you. Just take it easy though, again, but like the earlier advice, start small and build it up. 
don't be going nuts first thing out of the gates. So we noted at the start of the show that exercise can help you physically but also mentally and these days thankfully there is more attention being addressed to the benefits of exercise from a mental perspective not just physical. Now it's easy to look at somebody who works out and be like he works out or she works out because you look at them and you see right that guy's got big broad shoulders and that, that girl's you know looks looks in good shape she's trim she's she looks like she's just fit and she works out that sometimes that's obvious you see people who who work out because of the the nature of their body what it looks like but is it as obvious this is my question is it as obvious whenever you see someone who's buzzing who's absolutely loving life and really happy and just in a good mood is it obvious then that oh they work out look how good a mood they're in and it's probably not but we don't associate the two together but we maybe we should now, when it comes to something like depression, just to be really careful what we say, because it is such a, a varied experience for different people, and one person's experience of it is not the same as somebody else's, and if, unless you've experienced it or gone through it, I don't think you can really know how it feels, and it can seem quite patronising to dis, even to discuss it, so I don't want to say too much about it, but I just want to give you some of the studies and some of the things that associated with us. I have heard from, from friends who have suffered depression or who, who battle with depression uh, regularly that they, they say it's even hard some days just to get out of bed. The thought of even getting out of bed, never mind going to the gym or doing a training session, the thought of that is is too much. It's just, I don't think I can get out of bed today. And it's hard to get our head around that if you haven't experienced that feeling. If you're listening to this and you have experienced that feeling, then you know what I'm talking about. But Having said that, there is a lot of evidence, both peer-reviewed and also anecdotal. As I said, I've got friends who, um, who, who experience that and struggle with that, and they have benefited greatly from exercising. So whether it's going to the gym or just going for a run or doing something, doing some sort of movement, some sort of activity that's gonna, gonna, they know it's gonna help them. So there's anecdotal, as I said, but there's also peer-reviewed. Harvard Medical School. They go as far as to say that exercise is effective, effective as drugs in some cases, and uh, which is quite a statement. Thankfully, I'm not making that statement. Harvard Medical School are. Now, Dr. Craig Miller, he here's a quote from him. He says, In people who are depressed, neuroscientists have noticed that the hippocampus in the brain, the region that helps regulate mood, is smaller. So exercise supports nerve cell growth in the hippocampus improving nerve cell connections which helps relieve depression so that goes somewhere behind the scenes to actually show and let us know how exercise can improve um, mood how it can regulate mood so it can help alleviate depression in a number of ways they find that hormone balance is a massive one so exercise stimulates the release of several hormones including endorphins dopamine norepinephrine serotonin and these chemicals in your brain they help to regulate your mood so endorphins whenever these are released they produce sorry they reduce your perception of pain but also act as sedatives and they're commonly known as feel-good hormones serotonin is another one and it's released um your mood and general sense of well-being improve this can positively um, affect your appetite sleep density and they tend to be really negatively affected by depression, I can have serious knock-on effects on your health whenever those aren't um, optimal. Other ones to think about are building confidence. So, as is commonly said, whenever you look better, you feel better. Setting and setting, setting yourself some goals and then hitting your goals, even if they're little small ones, to get you going, that will give you confidence and it builds self-esteem. And that's really important if depression is something that you struggle with. And again, that's a broad statement I realise, but for a lot of people I know who suffer from it, they've said that themselves. 
reducing stress is a big one so extreme stress can lead to feelings of being overwhelmed exercise if you are you know helps you forget about the stresses in your life even for a few minutes even for an hour a couple of times a week it can also help put things in perspective sometimes the weight of the world on your shoulders can make you feel overwhelmed but a bit of exercise sometimes it just brings a little bit more perspective and lets you see things as they really are rather than how you think they are and this can help you to escape the vicious cycle of anxiety that can sometimes follow all of that stress the other thing is improved sleep so as we said before sleep is an area where sufferers um, during depression if you have depression generally your sleep is up the left and exercise will help you to sleep better and then if you're getting physically exhausted then a bit of mental exhaustion as well then you're not going to be able to sleep as well so if you can do a bit of exercise stimulate that get better sleep density like we said then you're going to benefit from that you're going to be more refreshed and you're going to feel better so the best type of exercise to do if you have depression is the one that you enjoy the most so whether it's boxing or ballet or cycling or running or lacrosse or I don't even know whatever it is you enjoy if you do that chances are going to do it more often more regularly and you're going to feel better so whenever you don't feel like doing something doing anything you're going to be more likely to actually do something you enjoy than something you think oh, I have to go I have to go swimming I hate swimming I have to go swimming though because I said I would if you don't like swimming don't go swimming pick something you enjoy so some people some people just have to pick something that they really like or have a variety of things you can opt for. So it's also important to set realistic, appropriate goals because if you set something that's so unrealistic and then you don't reach it at the end of the week or the end of the month, it's going to make you feel bad about yourself and that's not what you want whenever you know, you're already feel, having these feelings and having these uh, in that dark place. So set yourself something that you can achieve, not something that's so easy that you're not going to have any sense of um, satisfaction or achievement from, achieve, from hitting it, but something that you can hit and be proud of. Um, and have little steps and little stages along the way hypertension is the next one or high blood pressure is maybe it's more commonly known and it is a common is a common uh, problem for a lot of people in modern society regular exercise has been found to actually be among the most beneficial preventative measures that you can take for it um, this is because it helps to control and reduce high blood pressure as well as reducing the strain and the stress on blood vessels themselves Aside from this, exercise nutrition aids fat loss. And you might have noticed that people who suffer from high blood pressure tends to be coupled with some sort of either overweight or obesity. So if you can lower your weight, if you can reduce the um, amount of uh, pressure, um, because it takes a lot of work. See, if, you are, if you're carrying two, three, four, five stones of fat around, your, your body and your heart is going to have to work so much harder there's going to be a lot more strain there. It's just inactive tissue. Fat tissue is known as inactive tissue. So whenever you're carrying that about with you, guess what? Your heart is having to work so much harder than it would if uh, you, you know, if that was muscle, if that was useful active tissue. Now it's been found that both aerobic exercise and weight training can positively impact your blood pressure and it's important to do them regularly but to start slowly, gradually build up the intensity. And that's the theme of today, I think. That's the theme of this show is start today build it up slowly don't bust yourself straight out of the blocks I keep saying it but um, I can't emphasize it enough if you have any doubts do check with somebody check with your GP or whoever now a few episodes ago we did an exclusive show solely on osteoporosis so I've got a quote here from the Royal Osteoporosis Society which says after a diagnosis of osteoporosis if or if you have risk factors 
you should do more exercise rather than less. Being physically active and exercising helps you in so many ways and is very unlikely to cause a broken bone. I couldn't have said it better myself. I literally couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> and you think that's something obviously a trainer would come out with because um, I love exercise and I love training people. But they basically nail it there. They said in a nutshell, whenever you get a diagnosis of osteoporosis, sometimes people think they should wrap themselves up in cotton wool and don't go out of the house and don't don't do this and don't do that and you got to minimize risk minimizing risk is one thing but it's like anything else if you if you uh, if you uh, don't train it then you lose it so research has shown that regular exercise especially strength training can make bones stronger slowing down the rate of bone loss and that is really important not also the quality of of bone uh, density rotational movements can be particularly beneficial where the muscle attachments pull on the bone alongside exercise, a balanced diet, which includes good sources of vitamin D. Calcium is incredibly important. So we dealt with that in depth in a previous show. I don't want to say too much about it, but you can look that up. Um, it's a really it's a really big area. It's a big show, that one, and it's worth looking into. If you have a family member, I do encourage you to sh- share it with them. Strokes are another common problem among Westerners. They seem to be getting more prevalent. It seems to be here somebody every week. Somebody else has had a stroke. And I don't know why that is. I don't know why it seems to be that way. But Stroke Association UK, this is a statement or a comment from them. And they say, after a stroke, starting to be more active can be a massive boost to your recovery and your confidence. Almost anyone can find a way to add movement into daily life. So they're suggesting more movement rather than less movement again after you've you've suffered from a stroke so regular low intensity exercise it's currently considered to be the most effective method and again like we said earlier strength training has not been studied in as much depth as it really should have been a lot of studies that have been done between linking between exercise and diseases and disease management and illnesses a huge percentage of them are cardiovascular it's cardiovascular exercise that is emphasized so that could be one reason why they are stressing that but if you're going to have gentle, low, inten- low you know, intensity, regular um, cardiovascular exercise, that could help prevent strokes simply by lowering your blood pressure. If you can bring your blood pressure down, regulate it, manage it better, then you're going to reduce your risk of, of having further strokes. And the British Medical Journal, it points out that there are a number of biological reasons why exercise might be beneficial in preventing strokes. Habitual exercise has been shown to have beneficial effects on a number of risk factors for stroke, namely hypertension. Diabetes, physical inactivity, obesity, excessive alcohol consumption, and tobacco use. So, those are those are things that are associated often with strokes. So, if you can add exercise in, you're going to mitigate those risk factors. If we take type two diabetes as our next example, it's more common in those over forty years of age, and it has been shown regular exercise and sensible nutrition can help to prevent it, manage it, and that's even for those who are considered high risk. So what type of exercise? Well, regular. So you want to do it often and intensity, moderate to high intensity. That's been shown to be the most effective way through combination, both resistance training, so strength training, and also cardiovascular training. And the reason exercise works so well to help prevent it and reduce the impact of it is because of the muscles that you're working. So whenever you work your muscles, they are going to be using more glucose than obviously if you don't. So muscle activation means an increase in sugar uptake by the muscle cells and that means blood sugar levels are reduced. 
Now, most type 2 diabetes diagnosis, it also leads to other complications. You usually hear of other things associated with it, such as blocked arteries and heart attacks from that. Now, it has been shown, there's a number of studies, again, I want to share them. Regular exercise can significantly reduce this risk. If we take Parkinson's disease and multiple cirrhosis and the impact that exercise can have on them, first of all, Parkinson's disease, it's most common if you're over 50 years of age and it's been shown that in the early stages of it, exercise can really help improve coordination, balance and range of motion, all of which are really important for uh, important skills to, to maintain, and especially as we get on in years. Now, according to the Parkinson's Foundation, research has shown that exercise can improve gait, balance, tremor, flexibility, grip strength and motor coordination. So the research is there. They are convinced by the research and the type of exercise you choose really depends upon Parkinson's disease and how it affects you personally. Everybody will have different severities and different um, different impacts on their body. One study actually conducted, it showed that those with Parkinson's disease who start exercise earlier, a minimum of two and a half hours each week, experience a slower decline in quality of life compared to those who started later. So it is, it is possible to mitigate it, it is possible to try and treat it, slow it down, and just to give yourself a, as much of a fighting chance as possible. Now, multiple cirrhosis, it affects around 100,000 people in the UK, which is a significant amount. And regular exercise, stretching has been shown to really help retain mobility, coordination, posture, balance of sufferers. Exercising with MS can be challenging, and I've, I've chatted to people before who, who, deal, who deal in some of these charities, and it is important to choose exercises that are appropriate. Not every exercise is going to be suitable um, for everybody with MS. There's lots of exercise studies conducted with people living with MS and they found improvements in cardiovascular fitness strength, bladder and bowel function, fatigue, mood, cognitive function, bone density and flexibility. And it's important not to overdo your workout. And again, this is, this is the theme of today is if you're going to start exercising, don't go nuts. Try and build into it gently and your, your program really should be tailored according to your level so that goes for someone who either doesn't have any diseases or even who's currently work, working out you want to make sure you're at your appropriate level and you're not doing someone else's workout or someone else's um, level now whenever we think of exercise as medicine or being used as a treatment in some cases the most obvious example is probably obesity now obesity can be linked with lots of other um, comorbidities and diseases and it's a massive issue in itself but it really is commonly linked to lots of like heart disease diabetes strokes high blood pressure osteoporosis and certain cancers there's a lot of other things that are thrown in with obesity and when you take obesity out of that that is a huge risk factor removed it occurs whenever you regularly consume more calories than your body requires okay just so we know what how it happens it's it's not like a genetic thing i know some people say i'm big bone i was born this way I get that some people are more predisposed to it than others. Some people have faster running metabolisms than others. I get that. But at the end of the day, it's still an excess of calories that are consumed in one way or another over a prolonged period of time. It doesn't happen overnight. It is a slow burner. It can happen over weeks and months and years. Now, it has reached epidemic proportions in the UK and the USA. And that's not an exaggeration. According to the CDC, the number of obese Americans continues to rise some 30% of adults, over 20, um, that's more than 60 million people, 
are obese. So that means that they're 30 pounds overweight at least and have a BMI, body mass index that is, of more than 30. I'm not a huge fan of BMI. I think it's a load of rubbish. I think it should be thrown in the bin and discarded or put into a museum. But I think body fat percentage is a much more useful index and also maybe a waist measurement is quite a good way to tell as well. But BMI, I guarantee you that the vast majority of those people that they're saying 60 million or 30% of adults over over 20 them that they are overweight that they it's not it's not muscle basically is what i'm trying to say so one of the goals of the national institute of health is to reduce obesity among adults by more than half by the year 2025 however current data says that that is not going to happen in fact it is actually getting worse as you can imagine because anytime politicians or government puts their hand to something They'll either uh, fail or make things worse. Or if they don't fail, they'll fudge the numbers, tweak them a little bit to make it look as if they have succeeded. But in this case, they haven't done so. It is getting worse, unfortunately. So due to rising rates of childhood obesity, they say the life expectancy of the average American is going to decrease between two and five years over the next decade. Unless there's something significant done about that in order to slow down the rate of obesity. Which is crazy. It's crazy that that's having that much of an impact. Two to five years. You might not think that that's that much. But if you are 70. And you're hoping to live to 75. That's a, that's a lot. Two years. Five years. That's a, that's a huge chunk of, of your life. That um, is potentially being shortened. I personally believe this should start and finish with education. And personal responsibility. Teaching people about nutrition. Teaching them about exercise. Teaching them what impact it has on their body. And then teaching people their personal responsibility. Taking responsibility for themselves and not looking for someone else to blame not looking for the government to save them not looking for the nhs to save them take responsibility for ourselves if you're a parent take responsibility for your kids try and set them up um, correctly as best you can for as long as you can as we said it's it's a risk factor for, for heart disease other serious health complications diabetes high blood pressure high cholesterol and having these orders at this having these disorders at the same time it's called metabolic syndrome and this can lead to an increased risk of heart disease and even kidney disease so high blood pressure it's a risk factor for heart disease and is twice as common in obese adults as those who are at a healthy weight which is crazy twice as common and another one that maybe you don't think about obesity and a side effect from it, a negative one, is it leads to arthritis. So this extra stress being placed on your joints can cause arthritis, which I guess not not life-threatening in itself, but it is extremely painful and debilitating in some cases. So maybe you're listening to this now and you fall into that overweight or obese category. What can you do starting today? So obesity or being overweight, together they represent the number two preventable cause of death in the USA after smoking. And I, I would imagine, I haven't double checked it, but I say it with some, it's something similar in the UK and Ireland and Europe. But there are so many things that you can do to get that unnecessary weight under control and to help manage your risk of heart disease and all those other things that we were chatting about. You can develop a diet. And a, like a diet and an exercise plan that you feel is realistic and that you can actually maintain. Not some fancy thing you find on Instagram or something you find on Google. That's, the, that's not the point. The point is, you know, if you're trying to, trying to go, right, I'm going to exercise every single day. And you're currently not exercising any days. It's probably not going to happen. It's not very realistic. Maybe set yourself a more realistic, realistic goal. Like, 
right, I'm going to try and work out every other day or three times a week, 30 minutes. Build it up from there. Again, theme of the show, don't go nuts at the start. Try and make sure that you are setting yourself realistic goals. And we're in July now, coming to the end of July 2021. Make a resolution not right now. Resolve to make the rest of this year a better, a healthier one. And by making little baby steps every day, every week. And set yourself some sort of weight loss or a health goal and stick to it. As I said, don't make it unrealistic. So for some people, if you're currently eating takeaways five times a week, maybe progress for you is going to look like eating takeaways two times a week. And that might sound like a strange bit of advice from a trainer, but it's progress. It's better than what you're currently doing. So start there. After a while, maybe you will be able to whittle it down to one time a week or once a month. Um, but something needs to change. If you know something needs to change, change it don't wait until new year's eve and um, going at the 2022 before you make a resolution make it right now just make a decision and fix something change something small and grow go from there and be specific set yourself a goal but make it specific don't just say i want to lose weight how much weight how much by what date and get professional help if you need it if you don't know where to start get a personal trainer get a good personal trainer a quality one Exercise is a phenomenal tool. There's so many positive benefits of it. And if you really need to get a gentle push in the right direction, get in contact with a trainer. Exercise is the obvious way to counteract obesity and it does this through a variety of ways. Some of them are obvious. Obviously, you, whenever you increase your activity, you're going to burn more calories. So that's cardio or weights, you're going to be burning energy. Speed, it speeds up your metabolism so that you can burn more calories at rest. Again, depending on what type of exercise you choose, you're going to stimulate your metabolism so that whenever you put your feet up that night say you worked out in the morning you're going to be burning a slightly higher rate than if you had not worked out at all that morning and that goes especially for hit training and weight training so another thing is increasing if you increase your muscle tissue so if you put on a bit of muscle like we said a couple of shows ago the benefits of putting on muscle if you put on muscle in the long term your body's going to be able to use more calories in order to sustain itself so it's easier for you to get into a calorie deficit the more muscle you build you not have to instead of having to aim for fifteen hundred calories a day, you could potentially have sixteen or seventeen hundred because you're a bigger you've a bottom body mass which is larger, which is stronger, which is more active tissue associated with it. Now I know ladies are scared of putting on a bit of muscle, but it's a lot harder for you to do it than guys, as I keep repeating. But go back and listen to that show if you're interested in putting on a bit of muscle and getting the, the metabolic benefits off of that. And then proper nutrition with the right amount of calories, it's consistently been shown to be the most effective way to to combat obesity exercise can certainly help and it can assist it can amplify the benefits and keeping it keeping your weight down and keeping it away but if you're extremely overweight it's best to avoid high impact exercises such as running jumping anything like that due to the impact it can have on your joints now if you're carrying lots of weight the last thing your joints need is direct impact on it so I, that's why nutrition is really really important especially at the start doing things like walking low intensity and weightlifting believe it or not weightlifting isn't actually going to put too much pressure on your joints especially if you select the correct exercises and build it up from there um, things like walking swimming and other low impact exercises are really really good ways to get yourself going so the big question that remains is when should you start exercising if you aren't currently the answer is right now well, just kidding, you should probably listen to the rest of this podcast because you haven't heard Joke of the Week yet, which will and obviously, obviously leave you lying on the floor laughing. But in all seriousness, if 
there are specific diseases that run in your family, like heart disease, depression, cancer, osteoporosis, whatever. The sooner you start making exercise a part of your lifestyle, the better. The sooner you can start dramatically reducing the chances that you will develop these diseases or at least be able to delay them if you are going to be predisposed to develop them later in life because of your genetics. You know, you could even treat them as some of the, uh, the, the data and the studies have suggested with exercise. Obviously, you need to be sure to check with your doctor or your, your specialist, whoever that is, if you're currently being treated for a disease that has been mentioned before embarking on any sort of a, an exercise program. But ultimately, you should, you should take responsibility yourself. You should know yourself when you're able to. And the theme of the show has been to start small. So start something, just a little bit, a little bit at a time, and don't set yourself to unrealistic expectations or unrealistic goals. If you're currently suffering from any of these above illnesses, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, like, I appreciate it must be so difficult, so challenging for you. And you're probably, maybe you're feeling frustrated and tired and you're, you're, you're kind of annoyed that you can't exercise as maybe you would like to. Maybe you've always been involved in exercise and you're currently um, just struck down by something like this. It's understandable to, to feel really frustrated um, and you, ha you have my sympathy in that. But, you know, exercise and, you sh and sensible eating, it doesn't make us bulletproof. The great statistic, sadly, 10 out of 10 people will die of something, somehow. And exercise doesn't guarantee that we'll never suffer from a disease or illness at some stage in our lives. But if, for example, your genetics and current lifestyle mean that your risk of developing something is 9 out of 10, why not try and reduce that risk down to a 3 out of 10 or a 4 out of 10 potentially? This number is always going to vary due to a range of factors, but there's a few things within your control, within my control. Why not do what we can now, whenever, whenever, we, can, whenever we can, rather than leave it to later on? Um, you know, in the West, we tend to love a quick fix, don't we? We love, love all of our quick solutions. We love taking a pill for that, and I've said it before. We love taking you know an injection for this. I think if there's an injection for, um, for any of these things that have been mentioned, we would gladly take it if it promised a quick fix. Unfortunately, exercise is not a quick fix. It takes time. It takes it's a process. It it takes you to progress as you go. You can develop your potential. You can develop um just more capacity for work the more you do it and as more and more studies are carried out the evidence is becoming more and more clear that exercise helps prevent many diseases and its impact can help alleviate a lot of the implications that arise from diseases so not all of the diseases i've mentioned exercise is a cure for or a prevention for there's a bit of a mixture in there which if you listen closely that is the case you know there's so many drugs there's so many medications out there which do a phenomenal job and they do help us recover from certain things but a lot of them not all of them but a lot of them have, have negative side effects for some people and exercise is one exception to that exercise has ne has no negative side effects the only negative side effects i can think of are you're going to get more compliments maybe for how your how your body shape is you're going to have uh, maybe have to buy a whole new wardrobe of clothes because your old clothes are too big and you've, you've gotten slimmer you've lost weight and you need to buy a whole new wardrobe of clothes don't blame me if that happens, by the way. But you know what I mean? There's no there's no negative. There's no downside to this. Whenever you exercise, unlike a lot of medications and drugs, there are implications. There are there can be complications from it. There can be, you know, rashes and nausea and all sorts of other things. Now, unless you go absolutely nuts at exercise, that could be a could be a, a side effect if you try and make yourself go hard go so hard that you vomit. But 
the point is you can get a lot of benefit and you can help stop a lot of diseases by engaging in exercise regularly. Please spread the word. And now it's time for some frequently asked questions. So the first one is, should I do cardio or strength training first? So this is probably quite a common dilemma. A lot of people maybe come across this one and think, oh, am I doing it right? Am I doing it the right way around? Should I change it up? And the answer really lies in whatever your goal is. So if you're training for a marathon, if you're trying to get to become a better runner, you should focus on your runs. So you might actually need to do it in alternate days or maybe you do runs in the morning and then a bit of strength training in the evening and you'll probably do significantly less strength training than running because if that's your main jam, you want to make sure you're committing the time to it to get better at it. Strength training will help, but um, the main thing is the main thing and that's not going to change. So if you haven't got a goal established, you're not sure what, if you're just kind of going through the motions, then it's going to be really confusing for you, this dilemma. If you're trying to put on a bit of muscle, then you might not even need to do cardio at all. That's just, that's just the way it is. If you manage your nutrition properly, you don't really have to do cardio unless you really enjoy it and you get a thrill out of it or it helps your mental health, helps your clear head. If you enjoy it, great, but prioritize your strength training. So do your strength training first, spend 45 minutes or an hour doing that. Maybe you need to split it up, do that in the morning, do, some, do the run in the evening, vice versa. But prioritize it based upon whatever your goal is. That's the simple answer. And the next FAQ is how long should I rest between sets? So this is obviously referring to doing weight training. And this is another, it's a tricky one if you're not used to it, if you've no experience and you're just starting out, this can be a really, really tricky one. As a general rule of thumb, basically the heavier the weight is, the longer the, the break that you need. Um, <laughs> there was a joke about last last year whenever uh, the government man you know, imposed lockdowns in the whole country and stopped people from lifting weights and going to gyms and things. And the joke was that uh, powerlifters still haven't noticed. They just think that they're resting between sets still. Now, if you if you don't if you don't know what that means, it's basically powerlifters take a lot of rest between sets. So it seemed like you know ten minutes to them, but it was actually two or three or four months, whatever it was. That that's not our joke of the week, by the way. But um, so that yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of the rule. So a lot of people, I would. Generally said, most people should not take um, any less than 90 seconds rest. So if you're trying to build muscle, you're going for um, kind of a metabolic effect, then you probably want to take a little bit less rest. So two, like 90 seconds to two minutes, something around that. Another important aspect of it is, is trying to be consistent. So time your rest. Don't just guess it. Don't just go whenever you feel like it. If that is what you're doing. If that's an area that you're worried about or you're trying to progress, make sure your rest is consistent. So don't do between your first and second set two minutes, then between your second and third set five minutes. If, unless you note it down and you can compare it to the next workout and compare it to previous workouts, make sure you're consistent. That's all I'm saying. But generally, like it's not unheard of. If you're lifting heavy weights, if you're lifting like a heavy set of three or a heavy set of five, eight, nine, 10, 20 minutes for some people, if they're really strong, it requires that much rest between sets to get the weight up again and that's the priority if that is the priority you want to make sure you're not compromising your strength and your ability to lift by cutting into the rest too much just to get it um, get it done quicker take your time 
Make sure you're well prepared and you're ready for the next set. Don't be doing it so much that you're getting cold. Maybe if it's in the winter and you're training, maybe you will need to put a coat or something on or jump on a bike or just do something to kind of stay warm. But generally you will need a lot of rest in between if you're lifting very heavy. It's joke of the week time pinnacle of everyone's week who's listening why shouldn't you write with a broken pencil because it's pointless I will say no more about that <laughs> oh, no 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 <laughs> <laughs> And that's us. That's the end of another show. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, hopefully you're still with me. And uh, the joke hasn't made you take your phone, smash it into a million pieces, burn it, throw it in a lake. Hopefully you're still with me. If you do have any questions you would like me to answer in the next show or upcoming shows, do drop me a message. Send me an email on info at crossfunctionfitness.co.uk. Send me a message on Facebook or Instagram. I'd love to help you out and make sure that I'm answering questions that are relevant and specific to you. Um, or if you just want to you know, give feedback on the show, give me abuse about the bad jokes. Hopefully you've learned something from this one. Hopefully you can see that there's so many lifestyle factors that are dependent upon us. There's so many diseases and illnesses that we can do something about if not everything about it doesn't necessarily mean we can cure them but like the, the topic and the, the headline of the show is exercise is medicine and it's one with very few if any negative side effects so do utilize it make sure you train today so you can be stronger tomorrow and i'll see you next week enjoy the sun